Hello, it's me, Blair W. Coin, your host of the Pop Cult Review, and I have a very quick question for you. So, when exactly was the last good MTV Video Music Award show? Like, when was it? Do you remember? Because... <laughs> So MTV just had their 2022 VMAs, and I'll be honest, I wasn't that interested, and it didn't seem like others were that interested either, and I wonder why that was until I saw clips and pics from the actual award show in real time as it was going on, and there were like plenty of semi-interesting artists there, but no one was interesting enough to keep the public's attention longer than like a performance or like a short clip. In short, there were no real A-list celebrities there, maybe, besides, like, Taylor Swift. But I wanted to talk about, like, I've had this, like, slight annoyance with MTV over the years from moving away from their music programming and the funny stash of, like, reality TV that they had in the 2000s to whatever, like, they do now. It seems they have about three or four shows that run in rotation through the day, but you're likely to only catch Nick Cannon or Rob Deerdick at any given moment, you know what I mean? So when I was a grown up, MTV was pretty cool. It was the quote unquote cool channel to watch as a kid because it felt too mature for me to watch, but not mature enough for the adults in my house to find that much interest in, you know? I dreamed about going on MTV spring break when I was in college. You know, like that was always going to be the goal. When I was a kid, I was like, I want to go to MTV Spring Break for college. It just never, <laughs> never happened. Um, basically, I used to plan my childhood spring breaks around sitting in front of the television, watching the performances and, you know, the raunchiness of the curated spring break shows that MTV used to play. I used to gossip over Laguna Beach and the hills at the cafeteria table. Like, and I'm just, I'm being very honest with you. If you didn't watch it back then and you said that you watched it, everyone knew that you didn't watch it because it was so particular the way that you could talk about it. But that was like back then, that was like such a thing back then. And before school, I'd watch the music videos, you know, that they would play in the early mornings as I got ready. And then after school, I'd watch uh, TRL or there was another like countdown show that they had as well. I think it was on MTV too though. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I know there was another one. And then um, like beyond that though, I would also watch like Next and Room Raiders, uh, Dismissed or oh my God, Date My Mom. Does everyone remember that show? I, I'm not making that show up. I promise it's a real thing. <laughs> These shows made absolutely no sense, but they were fun and easy watches. Overall, I felt connected and compelled to watch MTV back then. So the VMAs rolled around. We all knew it was going to be a really big deal. The Video Music Awards had always felt like the award show where the pop stars could be less serious and have a little bit more fun. You know, controversial moments were expected because everyone was a little too loose. You know what I mean? I remember watching each of Britney Spears' VMA performances growing up and the chit-chat that followed at school um, for those who were allowed to watch MTV back then. In particular, the 1999 one, when I was still in elementary school, left most of us shocked that our parents and older siblings found her performance racy when all we thought, you know, when we all thought she was super cool um, in her, like, nude bedazzled dance, low-rise pants, and, like, her halter top, and 
then the one with the Madonna kiss. So then when I was in college, Gaga's infamous meat dress happened and Beyonce showed up late one year only to reveal her pregnancy first alone on the carpet and then again during her performance of Love on Top. The year I graduated high school was the same year of the Kanye Taylor Swift incident and it was actually insane to witness in real time especially while living in Nashville. And one of the last more interesting VMAs, not quite good, but just kind of interesting was the uh, Miley Cyrus hosted VMAs where she twerked on Robin Thicke and uh, I believe was checked by Nicki Minaj that year too. I also believe this was the same VMAs that I remember Harry Styles sitting behind Rihanna while he was still with One Direction and he was peeling a tangerine the entire show which was clearly more memorable than some of the other stuff that was happening on the show. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how you can tell when the show started to go real downhill. But the point remains, when was the last good VMAs? Was it the Smiley Cyrus one or was it Beyonce's bump reveal? You may be asking why I'm not mentioning the year Beyonce or Rihanna got their Vanguard Awards. Um, I have an answer for that in just a bit. The point is that MTV doesn't know how to market to a younger audience anymore. They barely can market to us younger millennials, so it's no wonder that they're having a hard time marketing to Gen Z. Instead, they found their loophole, the one thing to generate viewers even if it's just one specific group per year. And this, my friend, is the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. And the irony is not lost on me either, so let's talk about how Michael Jackson saved MTV from financial failure with his music videos and essentially changed the pop format forever. When MTV first launched, it was mostly a rock channel that played rock artists. The first couple of years, MTV performed terribly. At the same time, Michael Jackson had already solidified himself as, well, Michael Jackson. This was an already off-the-wall Michael Jackson world, so... He wanted to pursue more creative freedoms with his music videos, and at the time, MTV was not really giving airtime to a lot of black artists. Story of our lives, you know? And they would allocate their videos to the wee hours of the morning or just not play black artists at all. Of course, the excuse that was given was that there weren't any black artists that actually fit the MTV, you know, mold as far as the music that they were playing at the time. This, of course, led to much criticism from both Black and non-Black artists, particularly vocal, were Rick James and David Bowie. And in particular, David Bowie is very significant in this story. So it was David Bowie who pressed MTV publicly when he was promoting his own album at the time, asking, shouldn't they challenge themselves to make their media more integrated as far as music goes? So, of course more excuses followed and the MTV reporter at the time um, replied to Bowie and said that oh yeah things are changing the lines are going to get blurred eventually you know they were playing this like white R&B group and they were like yeah they you know they attract black audiences too so in turn white audiences you know they could start to understand it and it can be like this mutual back and forth the problem with this was that hilariously it was simply an interviewer who was answering this on behalf of MTV and if a publication or a network is employing you and signing your checks, it's not like you can openly call them out on their bullshit. So yeah, the answer was entirely empty, and David Bowie refused to stop pressing it during that time. MTV's general excuse was that black artists were not really making big music videos at the time like their white rock counterparts. 
on top of that, with the rock format, black artists didn't fit into the ideal rock artists uh, to MTV, so it didn't really make sense to play them. Given the origins of rock and roll is actually laughable to say this, and other artists like Bowie or Rick James and plenty of others also felt the same way. The thing was, labels were not making big budget music videos for black artists at the time because they knew that MTV wouldn't play them anyways. Do you get what I mean? So MTV was like, oh, well, we don't play black artists because they don't really fit our mold. And then labels were like, we're not going to put money behind big music videos for black artists because MTV is not going to play them anyways. So here's where Michael Jackson comes in. So in, uh, I believe, late 1982, he released this thriller and it was a smash hit, as we all know. So in the spring of 1983, the second single of Thriller, Billie Jean has this great video, but of course MTV doesn't want to play it. Thus enters CBS and their executive, um, Walter Yetnikoff, who is pissed. And he tells MTV, I'm pulling everything we have off air, all of our product. I'm not going to give you any more videos and I'm going to go public and tell them about the fact that you don't want to play music from a black guy. So what does MTV do? They play the video <laughs> and it became one of the first videos in heavy rotation by a black artist. They started playing a few of uh, Michael Jackson's other music videos from this particular era and the one before it from the off the wall era and thriller, right? Era. So the title track of thriller has a music video by late 1983 and it costs about half a million dollars to make, which is quite a lot at that time and had an intricate concept and it was 13 minutes long. This was completely out the norm for standard music videos at the time. And I know the demographics that listen to this podcast, so I have to assume for most of you that you were either alive back then or you have parents and family who were, because it came out before I was born. Um, my mom was in high school at the time and has mentioned how everyone made a point to gather around the TV to watch the premiere of, thrill- of Thriller, I'm sorry, and so did a lot of my other family members. I've seen people openly talk about this. In short, Thriller changed everything. It went on to sell 10 million more copies after the music video was released and is now one of the greatest albums of all time. So you may be saying, okay, so how exactly does this mean that Michael Jackson saved MTV? Well, MTV would have probably shut down by 1984. They'd estimated that they would have been in the hole about $10 million um, as far as um, negative profit, right? When in reality, they were in the hole for about $50 million. CBS, their parent company, threatened them for not playing black artists, especially the biggest black artists at the time. And so when they did play Michael's three music videos from the Thriller album, they made their first real profit. The same thing happened later in the 80s with rap music overall, where they felt that rap music would agitate their suburban white male audiences, and they ended up testing an episode of MTV, uh, or Yo! MTV Raps in the middle of the night, and surprise, surprise, the same thing happened as it did with Michael Jackson's videos. It was a success. MTV has been practically indebted (laughs) to Michael Jackson ever since for being the cause and effect for helping the network branch out. In 1984, MTV created the Video Vanguard Award, and it's sometimes called the Lifetime Achievement Award, um, and it's cited as an award for outstanding contributions and influence on music videos and popular culture. 
instead of the iconic silver moon man as we all know from the vmas this one is gold so hilariously michael jackson didn't even receive the award himself until 1988 instead the beatles david boy madonna and many other white artists received it first the second black artist to receive it was his sister janet in 1990 and it was only renamed the michael jackson video vanguard award in 1991. then in 1997 ll cool j got it in 2003 they changed it back to the lifetime achievement award due to um michael jackson's public controversies so then director height williams received it in 2006 and it wouldn't even go to any modern pop artists until the early 2010s it was mostly going to the rock artists that they praised in the beginning and the controversies regarding having michael jackson's name on the award went back and forth due to his death and then they eventually um let it stand due to his legacy and pop culture overall especially since so many of the artists that receive it now are direct students of him so let's discuss how now <laughs> the video vanguard award has been michael jackson's second saving grace of this damn network or at least their their video music awards right so in 2011 britney spears received the vanguard award and this comes a few years following her return to the stage in 2008 which was heavily criticized at the time so then two years later justin timberlake gets it in 2013 during the rise of the boy band so this is when all these new boy bands were emerging they were still pretty fresh this was your one directions and uh i think the wanted and oh gosh big time rush like it was around that time so all these new boy bands were uh, emerging and one direction was actually in attendance when justin timberlake got his video vanguard award and they actually performed as well and mtv did this very specifically by the way because they had in sync perform with justin as if to do this whole like you're watching the past and the present type of boy band style thing and of course to make people feel like um current boy bands at the time were not living up to it was just like you know what i mean like creating this issue and i'm going to talk about that again about mtv being the ones to create the issues for themselves and controversies if it doesn't happen naturally. The next year after Timberlake uh, is when Beyonce receives it and performs a melody from her self-titled album, which was a really big deal at the time. So then Kanye West receives it the next year and Taylor Swift is the one who presents him this award that year. Okay, so keep up with me. Okay, <laughs> so then the year after that, which is 2016, Rihanna receives it. And in 2019, Missy Elliott receives it after much advocating from the internet about her influence on much of, you know, music videos in the last two decades, right? She should have received it before quite a few of the people who I just mentioned. But I want to backtrack to 2016 when Rihanna received this award because this may have been the last good MTV video music awards and why the Vanguard itself is one of the most notable pools to the show. So Rihanna did several melodies of her songs throughout her career, throughout the entire night, each with their own stages, their own themes, costumes. And on the same night, Beyonce did a Lemonade melody, right? These two women are important because of not only their pop culture influence, their A-list status, the celebrity crowd that they're gonna draw in, but 
most importantly, the influence of their fans, the Hive and the Navy. In the last several years, the only time you'd be even lucky enough to have an award show where you have two of the biggest female artists put on big budget performances to an audience of their equal peers would have been at the Grammys at best. It wouldn't, like, we were well past that as far as the VMAs go, right? The same can be said for the last several recipients over the years, give or take. The few that probably deserved it way sooner, like Missy Elliott. The pill is always going to be the fans. The Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award is important and in a big step for any of these artists to receive, but after seeing a lot from the 2022 VMAs, I realized that it's now about gaining the attention of fans. Who cares how bad the show actually is if the Video Vanguard Award draws in a large fan base? Clearly something that keeps working over the years. Like this is the same format that they keep using, so it's clearly working. This year, Nicki Minaj won it. And while Nicki definitely has solidified herself as a great rapper, as someone significant in popular culture, as one of the greatest female MCs probably of all time, a visual artist, it's just hard to ignore the volume of her fans or her big controversies at the moment and how those two things go hand in hand. So in my opinion, from a journalistic <laughs> opinion and a PR opinion, to me, it seems that MTV was banking on a couple of things. So either this large volume from her fans or a large volume of people being upset that she was performing and that she was receiving this award. Either way, it was supposed to be a win for the network. Same thing with them, uh, like using Johnny Depp and like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very strange. It was meant to be like this, like moment, like this, ah, this controversial moment. But unfortunately, <laughs> at least from my end, it seems that her moment may have been overshadowed by a couple of things. So the first being Taylor Swift announcing that she is about to release a new album in October. The second being that K-pop girl group Blackpink were performing at their first American Awards show. The third being that during Italian glam rock group Maniskin, I hope I'm pronouncing Maniskin right, their performance, the camera would pan out and it would show that most of the venue was empty, leading many to realize how many big artists were actually absent for the VMAs. And the last being the weird hiccup of publications posting that Blackpink had won Group of the Year before the award was even announced, and later backtracking when MTV revealed it was actually BTS that had won that award for the fourth time ever, and I'd broken a new record. And I simply asked myself, did Taylor Swift go to the VMAs solely to promote her upcoming album? Probably. Does MTV give out attendance awards for, for artists who actually show up? Absolutely. Did no one show up to this show because MTV has lost its touch? I'd imagine. And lastly, did MTV manage to still use BTS for leverage and engagement online even though they did not show up and did not send a video thank you like other artists did? I'm gonna say yes. And I'm also going to throw in one more time that I think that weird group of the year mix up was intentional. Not only was it intentional, but there was an, 
a verified MTV account that it posted it as well, as well as another big account that a lot of fandoms interact with and a couple of like entertainment publications also published this before it even came out. It was very weird, very strange, and overall I just feel like it was meant to cause a really big uproar online, which it did. So I do also have the um, a bone to pick with the idea of social media stars running rampant on a red carpet as well. Um, and I'm going to tell you why. It's, it's, it's not because I don't think that there are some social media stars who are interesting and who have elevated and involved themselves into actual stars. However, I do think it's a real disservice to Gen Z, right? Their big artists should be highlighted, not their social media stars. Your Olivia's, your Billy's, and your, uh, what's his name? Conan, uh, or Connor, I don't know his name. Conan, Connor, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Anyways, <laughs> not random TikTok white girls who do black dances and make $50 million as a result. Or, you know, because their parents or their weird familial drama is playing out on the red carpet. But the reason why MTV is able to get away with it is because they don't think that they actually need to do much to captivate that particular audience. You simply need to grab the attention of the stands of that generation, right? Which is why the VMAs has pretty much lost quality over time. I think within the next decade, we'll probably see Taylor Swift getting her Vanguard, BTS getting theirs, We'll see Christina Aguilera get hers and other pop deities from the 90s and 2000s who have been left out so far. And just like Taylor and BTS, any act that has a substantial fan base and a big discography will also, you know, receive it. Because don't get me wrong, Taylor and BTS will be great video Vanguard recipients in the ne- in the near future especially BTS and the way that they've changed K-pop's migration to the West and pretty much how no one else has been able to live up to their success as far as k-pop goes ever since and quite frankly a lot of their western peers have not also been able to live up to their success the problem is that depending solely on fandom is bad (laughs) it'll never be a good idea because not only do acts know you're using them but so do their fans So you can bait throughout a show for these views, but you're never going to get a turnaround on these views in the next year unless you can pull off the same thing, which will eventually get stale. The views that a group like BTS could generate if they appeared on the show will not be matched by the views of most other acts unless another big act is performing, right? So let's say you could have BTS on the show one year and they perform, they receive these grand awards because you know the show is going to cater to their attendance and then the next year you know the only way to top that is to have an artist like Beyonce perform and for other artists of that caliber to also be in attendance and the next year you're going to have to put up put up another big budget to have another big artist that's the only way it's going to help you can't go from having you know two really big acts perform in two years and cater to those acts and then randomly have a mid-level or a B-lister or C-list mostly attendance of a show. Like, it just doesn't make sense. 
and that's because it's so up and down and because they're only holding on to the fact that they know that fandoms are going to tune in for their faves and their faves only rather than actually curating an interesting show having fan voted awards and one of the fandoms being the biggest in the world and their act not actually winning because they're not in attendance is very telling about how the show works itself and they don't actually try to even cover it up it's lazy it's manipulative and i guess to some degree if we look at where mtv was going at its at its start it's very mtv at its core they have not evolved enough personally as far as i'm concerned i've been thinking for years how mtv could resave itself by resurrecting the video star videos are still popular but mtv has not integrated well with the tiktok generation because they barely could keep up with us <laughs> the first internet generation if fandom must be used maybe create shows that center around fandom and being able to switch out fandoms per episode or per few episodes or per season you know to spare us from seeing shows like ridiculousness or wildin' out every hour on the hour utilize the streaming format show behind the scene clips on tiktok if you must in general i've had a book of ideas for years waiting to pitch to mtv because i used to really want to <laughs> you don't understand how bad i wanted to work for mtv when i was a teenager and once i graduated high school it was my goal but they pretty much took away so much of the music programming that someone like me could never benefit from working at mtv unless they did a whole overhaul so in general i've had like this really long book of ideas for years waiting to pitch to them for better show social media streaming and broadcasting and then mtv should hit me up because i am i am perfect for this i could help drastically my ideas are not free though <laughs> that's the one thing they're not free i will not be saying them on this podcast or anywhere online for free so anyways <laughs> But for real, hit me up. Regardless, MTV are not the only Viacom network that feels underwhelming as far as music programming goes. So maybe it's not just an MTV problem, but a parent company problem. Only time will tell what the future holds. I have a soft, nostalgic spot for MTV, but otherwise I'm kind of just removed from it. And I feel like the generation after mine is moving drastically fast past it as well. They do not care at all <laughs> and good luck trying to grab the attention of generation alpha when it's their turn right so anyways i hope you enjoyed this episode it's nice to be back after a short little break i have some album reviews coming up and a bit more fandom talk maybe some fandom book club crossover i've been thinking about it um i don't know <laughs> however as always if no one has told you today i care about you and i love you and until next time bye